Wheels. Hello. Hello Greetings, hi. <laughs> Greetings. Uh, are you at a park? I was just about to say, I am at a park where there's a playground of children. There are alarms going off. <laughs> this is not the ideal conditions for recording a podcast, but here we are. New York, baby. <laughs> is it terribly distracting? It's not. I loved it. I thought it was actually kind of pleasant and um, it was making me smile. So that's why oh, I even mentioned wonderful. it. wonderful. It's spring and this feels like a nice little light catch-up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. well. Tell me about what we're talking about today. Well, Miles... I thought it would be interesting to talk about questions of movement theory, how people change, if people change, and what is the best use of our time, energy, and resources for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. One, I get this. I get a question that's along these lines often that people don't maybe associate with like organizing or activism, but just the like. Someone going about their life, maybe they're affirming and in a church or community that isn't uh, fully affirming of queer people, and they'll ask me, should I leave my church and go somewhere that that fully, like, supports me, or should I stay and try to change these people because I really love them and want to help them understand? Another way that I get this question is a lot of people in sort of activist spaces that are doing very like doing work that is very partisan just kind of baffled at the amount of time and energy I've spent in more conservative spaces trying to help people understand and with the belief that if people only understood they Mm -hmm. would change and the activists are just like why are you doing that? Like, that doesn't... Why have you been doing that? Do you still want to continue doing that? That just doesn't... Like, it doesn't seem like many conservatives are really that movable and interested in, you know, affirming LGBTQ people, um, supporting women in reproductive rights, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And... It's a legitimate question. And so I thought of all people, who would I love to reflect on this question with? And it was you. Wow. (laughs) A joy and a privilege. (laughs) Well, do you want me to just go ahead and jump in? Or do you have um, a specific uh, starting question you you want me to begin um, my reflection with? I think I would say my, I think one interesting way to orient it could be, um, where have you been on this question of, is it worth it to work for change with it with, from within? How have you changed? And what are some overall observations you have as you've been doing work in more conservative spaces for the last say decade? Yes. Hmm. Well, Julie, as you probably know, many of my own experiences <laughs> mirror yours. And I guess I will start by saying that I have many friends, chosen family, colleagues who grew up 
very conservative, evangelical, in a way that was not fully consensual. So similar to some mm -hmm. of the stories you've told, you had, for example, parents who made you go to church. Mm -hmm. You, uh, at a certain point, you know, were given some choices around what your faith life would look like, but um, I do think that there is a way that a lot of us are sort of forced uh, into any kind of community, you and me, here, we're talking about Christian communities, we're talking about evangelical Christian communities, and um, that just wasn't my story. I, I did have a lot of agency in becoming a Christian and taking on that identity and pursuing uh, different faith practices. And so in that way, I, I do think that a part of my orientation to ch trying to make change from within, first and foremost, was predicated on consent. Uh, I, I was I was consenting as much as I could as a teenager to being a part uh, of these different institutions. And that feels important to say because um, as my theology and my politics started to shift over time and I was kicked out or clearly unwelcome in a lot of the communities that I had previously uh, found myself in, made meaning for my life within. Um, I had um, a fully like ambivalent relationship with them, meaning that there was as much good that happened to me in those communities as there was bad. And so a lot of me starting uh, to work for change from within was because, like you sort of started to, to, to share, I, I thought if enough people had the right information um, delivered to them by the right messenger, then their hearts and minds too would change. Mm -hmm. and, and so for me, a lot of the belief in that work was predicated on trusting in the goodness mm. of, of people's hearts and their intentions. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think one of my friends a few years back said that she believed that there are basically two kinds of people uh, in this world when it comes to evaluating goodness, and it's people who believe that others are sort of inherently good, uh, and they treat them accordingly, or people who believe that other people are inherently bad. And they need to prove that they're not, that they can be good. Hmm, and I, I had very much for most of my life, and this still shows up for me today, um, and one of those believing in the inherent goodness of others of course. types. Um, <laughs> and, and so that's where I began my work, um, really trusting and believing in the goodness of leadership, in the goodness mm -hmm. of authority, mm. in the goodness of my peers, and again, imagining that if they just had different information mm -hmm. um, told to them through a, a compelling messenger, then 
we could all get on the same page and that policies and postures that that organization or that college or that Christian ministry had would would come along. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I I it's not that I was naive when I started doing that. I knew full well that the work that I was embarking upon was going to be a long journey. And so I spent the first half of my career working for organizations and partnering uh, with different grassroots groups who worked very hard to put together the most compelling uh, case for the uh, rights and dignity of LGBTQ people, not just in society more broadly, but specifically in Christian communities that had more of like a, a conservative or evangelical orientation to, uh, to the Bible and to theology. And it was very hard work. Yeah. <laughs> um, very taxing, I think, um, emotionally and spiritually. And through my time doing that, I learned a lot of things. And I, I will say right now, it's not that I have stopped believing in mm. change from within. But I do think it is very uh, contextually based and that change from within can happen. I have watched it happen. I've been a part of it happening in very specific institutions. Mm -hmm. But by and large, again, depending on your community, for many people, it also leads to total burnout mm-hmm. and disillusionment mm-hmm. and despair. <laughs> yeah, just waiting for it. <laughs> it's like, doesn't feel like we're there, not there, still not, okay, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. and so I, I would like for you to maybe kind of share chronologically how that unfolded for you and then I actually do want to spend more of my time kind of offering some tips and tricks both for people who are working for change from within institutions and still believing and enacting that work um, but also to people who have left um, Mm -hmm. you know belief in that theory of change so Mm. um, you go and then I'll go again so the first thing I would say is that um, it's worth noting that people who are working for change from within do it because they love their community. And I think if this work, if that work is not born out of love for a community, I would just say don't do it. Don't even think about it. Because nobody wants people trying to change them who don't know and love them. And that's not even, that's not kind. It's not respectful. So if, uh, yeah, that just feels like an important starting point. Um, the, 
I think a lot of what motivated me early on was a real belief in how changing individual hearts and like like I guess like it's really beautiful to know believe and see that people can change and it is deeply moving when you see somebody who at one point believed and enacted those beliefs that were harmful toward other people, whether those were um, sort of moving forward racist ideology or harming LGBTQ people in their lives or, you know, whatever it might be. Like, for, to see people change is so moving and so beautiful. It's almost, like, intoxicating. It's this infusion of hope. And I think that can really, fuel, like, fuel a lot of idealism and believing that larger-scale change can happen if you just keep riding that momentum and you just more and more of those individual numbers add up. And then you step back for a second and you look at just something like the United States and you, you think of millions and millions and millions of people and then hundreds of millions. And you're just like, these, it was really, really sweet that my friend Tommy changed. And also to really uh, change the conditions that are harming people in a society, like you need massive, large-scale changes that, that all the Tommies in your network can't possibly begin to add up to. Right. So I think it's a question of, like, is this strategic? No, it's probably not strategic if you're, if you're looking to actually change our, our whole structures in society. Uh, is it meaningful? Is it a worthy cause? Yes, because we do believe, I believe, that every individual life matters and that the changes that will the ripple effects of that individual life changing uh matter like mm -hmm. deeply and that's because i believe in the worth the like inherent dignity and worth of every single human being so i guess i would say probably what a lot of you know my like when when somebody's asking me should i stay in my community that isn't affirming um that question seems like it might be coming from a belief in like the inherent dignity of each individual person and if that is like their main goal then if you have the energy for it and you're up for it and you feel equipped for that sort of work then yeah maybe like that that might be a good that seems like it fits within your larger belief system and orientation and my guess is when the activists are like what on earth they're thinking strategically in terms of just like what it takes to create sort of large-scale movements and mm -hmm. uh, I would say if that's your orientation and you're wanting to see policies change like in a sort of massive nationwide way then yeah you probably shouldn't be in it especially if you don't have the energy for it and you're not up for it and you don't have the support uh, those are a few reflections on just like what is your orientation mm -hmm. and um, I think I have changed in many ways because I, when I started out, I was uh, more, I think it's important to note that like generally speaking in conservative communities, even like if you think about conservatives more, are more focused on individual sort of individual responsibility mm -hmm. uh, and individual like 
personal salvation, a personal like relationship with Jesus, like all of these things, whether it's evangelical or political, the thinking is more at the small individual nuclear family like level. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not to say they're not strategic on a, yeah, okay. Uh, so there's that. <laughs> that, gets, that gets messy. That <laughs> gets real messy. <laughs> but uh, I think the more I sort of learned about like systems and structures, the more I began to feel like my like my energy was better spent uh, changing policies because all of the care I could give, say, students at Wheaton, all of the care and resources and like sort of ways I could nurture individual hurting students at Wheaton just paled in comparison to what could happen if the leaders of that institution would make different decisions. Mm -hmm. It just did not feel like it was worth my time, even though those students very much are worth my time. I felt like changing people who had the actual like capacity to make, you know, that, that felt more important. So Mm -hmm. I've changed, I've evolved and I don't, I don't know that that means I would, I don't believe in sort of the importance of that work. I also think I burned out and I got to a point where um, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't sit in those rooms. I couldn't, my body couldn't absorb the trauma of it all any longer. And so I guess one of the reflection I would add before I kick it back is that in some of these in some of like when it comes to change from within i think some of our best allies and and resources in that are people like the mama bears who mm-hmm. are parents of lgbtq kids who are not themselves the ones that are suffering the most from harmful teaching but are fueled by a love for people who do yes. suffer and i think that they are able to sort of come together in a way that offers community to one another and creates a sort of like energy that can mobilize people in a way that we ourselves just can't sustain. So I still believe in working from change from within, but I would say like under the right, I guess in the right conditions with the right kind of support and with the right relationship to both the communities you're working in and the, the topic of conversation. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think those are some of the most important things that we will say in this conversation today because um, I do believe that one of the main reasons people do uh, stay inside of institutions that they're hoping to change is because they they have often a really positive relationship with those institutions outside of you know this particular policy or that particular policy and so there is a kind of um, expectation um, that the way that one has been treated in the past and let's say that that's a positive mostly positive way, uh, will continue to be true. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of burnout stems from, you know, is this, this hope and this expectation that um, 
so let's, for example, just say we're talking about a particular church. Mm-hmm. This, this has been your church for however many years. You've had significant life milestones, you know, happen in community with this church. And as you're trying to change this church, these are where your primary relationships are. Mm-hmm. And that's going to start getting sticky. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a mistake that people make is they're not generating support outside of the institution that they're trying to change. Yeah. And that's a problem, not only because that can be isolating, but because no change happens without building a base. And, you know, just to, I know this can be a touchy subject, but without building power. Yeah. And, and that is, I think, a part of the strength of groups like Mama Bears and Free Mom Hugs is that you have tens of thousands of people mm-hmm. who have formed this critical mass mm-hmm. uh, of um, support and acceptance and, acceptance and pushing for inclusion. And when you have that behind you, it fundamentally changes mm-hmm. how you do any of the work that you're trying to do. Um, Not just because you have the emotional support, but because you have numbers of people behind you uh, who are fighting for the same thing. Um, There is a lot of mutual aid that happens in that way, uh, whether that be different resources or relationships or um, best practices that kind of come, you know, with doing that work in a different context. But um, yeah, that's the first thing is Mm -hmm. let's say there are people out there who are wanting to do this change from within thing, I, I think you have to have the right resources and the right support if you're thinking about doing that. And you have to be looking at this through the long view. Mm-hmm. And again, I know we are talking about churches for the most part, but I think this is true in a, across any industry that is dealing with uh, structural racism, mm-hmm. um, transphobia, sexism, mm-hmm. ableism, any, mm-hmm. any institution that has a long-term way of um, being complicit in different op- oppressive uh, ways of being in the world, usually unconscious, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this is a, li- a lifetime commitment to trying to change that. And I, I was talking to a friend who works in the TV film space about whether or not uh, uh, LGBTQ uh, representation and dignity in media has improved, will improve, uh, or if we will continue just to get these like one-off stories here and there um, that are fraught with issues. Um, Mm -hmm. And I said, I I do think we're getting better. I, I actually do think the conditions for our communities are improving in terms of representation and dignity in TV and film. Is it where I want it to be? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But in 30 years, mm-hmm. 
I think we will have a completely different media landscape. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that will happen on its own. That is not something that is inevitable. Mm -hmm. That is something that will be hard fought and won. Mm -hmm. Which kind of leads me to my next point of uh, tips for trying to work for change from within. And that is that if you are embarking on this work, you need to have a comprehensive analysis of power. Yeah. Uh, Oh, my God. Within that particular institution, you need to understand what the leadership structure is, what the reporting structure is, who has the ability to make changes within that particular place. And that is something I think many people miss is they're under the impression like, I'll have coffee with this pastor or, you know, Mm -hmm. this executive five times and have five conversations and we'll build rapport and camaraderie and then I'll get, you know, this person to agree with me and then they'll be able to make a change just to come to find out one of two things. Either that person is does not actually have the power mm-hmm. to make the change or they do agree with you. They are mm-hmm. fully in alignment with you and they do have the power to make the change and they're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And there are 10 million reasons that they will offer as to why they can't do it. And at the end of the day, I would say the primary reason they're not going to do it is because money money, and most, <laughs> most systems are just not going to be complicit in their own demise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because the change you're asking for, um, oftentimes, because it is structural, because it's a part of something so much bigger than just a singular policy, it freaks people out. And in some ways... I think they rightly perceive that this one change, in order to be ethically consistent, will have to lead to other changes as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which might eventually lead to them no longer being in their job. Like, the yes. once you start, like, really... And uh, that's a big ask. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, so I think just knowing how change happens in that particular institution is very critical. Knowing how to kind of uh, write up a blueprint for getting there, right? You need to create a planning process that describes your long-term goals and identifies all the different conditions that will have to unfold for those goals to be met. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I Um, guess... Go ahead, sorry. Well, I was going to, like, I mean, I couldn't agree more, and I think, like, that was part of what led to the disillusionment and despair that you talk about for me personally was not understanding that about power and thinking that, uh, yeah. And so, like, if I had known that going in to a lot of these different spaces, I might have still done it, but I would have done it with more a s- sort of sober outlook mm-hmm. at what was actually possible. And I want to say, too, that if, if your goal... Like, everybody has different goals and needs around, you know, what, what do we mean by change? And so some people genuinely just like love a community and just want them to be nicer. Mm-hmm. And that is a very <laughs> attainable goal. Like if that is, if you're okay with them 
like believing you're living in sin or believing that you're not like actually as smart as you know people with a different identity or whatever it might like if you're if you're genuinely okay with them not really changing but being like way nicer and more understanding then that is a different like you are probably not going to get have as much burnout and disillusionment and despair because that is an attainable goal mm-hmm. um but if you're if your hope is that people really, really are transformed through like a mutual relationship in which they make, they actually like come to see from a different perspective and make changes that cost them something, yes, then uh, that's going to be a much harder lift, and that's what we're talking about here. Like you got to really like gird your loins and get ready and like find a community and have an understanding of you know all these dynamics you're talking about right um so i i just wanted to throw that out there that not everybody has the same not everybody needs that and wants that and so understanding your goals and outcome is important too mm-hmm. yeah um i think that reminds me of of another <laughs> tip and and that is as you are working from change from within, and I, I say this because I do know people are actively doing this, even mm-hmm. if it's not for me and it's not exactly for you either, I, I still want to offer something to people who this sort of work is for. Mm-hmm. And um, I think what people have to be very, you know, you said, you know, kind of clear-eyed and sober about it, um, another thing that that includes is from this point forward, what that community can offer you and what they can't. Mm-hmm. Because if you are a person who's asking for changes within an institution, no matter how kind, patient, articulate, and persuasive you are, there is no way for you to not become or at least be perceived as a squeaky wheel. Mm-hmm. And that means that even if you are not loved less, you will be liked less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is, it is going to fundamentally alter, uh, I'm going to call it privilege, this, like various privileges you have within that community. It will change the way people see you. It will change mm-hmm. their ability to trust you. It will change their desire to uh, put you in different leadership roles. Mm-hmm. So you may be wanting to leverage the privilege that you have within that institution, and that's a part of why you believe in change from within. But buckle up, you're about buckle to lose up. that. Buckle Maybe up. not altogether. But certainly in part. And so I think that is something very serious that has to be, um, that, that's a part of the cost that has to be counted mm-hmm. in doing the work that you're going to be doing. I want to also, as I'm thinking about this, like you're, it, and I feel like this is where the activist questions are coming from. Like, why? Why would anybody do that? And of course there is love. Um, but when you think about just the dehumanizing conversation after dehumanizing conversation and the buildup of that, the toll it takes and the, 
low percentage rate of, of actual change that you might see in many communities. Um, I, I, I wonder what motivates many people to do this. Um, and what is a healthy relationship to the work look like? Because I think on the one hand, like I think love is a beautiful, beautiful reason, but I also wonder for many people, how much of it is guilt? Mm -hmm. Uh, how much of it is fear? How much of it is the, just the unknown of other spaces? If this is all you've ever known, um, and a lack of imagination for being able to be a good person outside mm -hmm. of that community you know what what keeps people in that for so long when it when it does harm so many people and it does take such a toll mm -hmm. and what might we be able to offer people who are struggling in that space yeah yeah i mean it kind of begs the question that i think that all people wherever they land you know on a movement theory theory of change is should you or rather, I guess I'll say it this way. No matter where you land in a theory of change, you should probably at least consider building something new. <laughs> Leaving and building something new. Even if you don't end up doing that. I think that exercise in imagination and innovation mm -hmm. is so healthy, is so worthwhile. Will... Uh, inform how you do any of the work that you're doing from inside if you can allow yourself to imagine um, the world you want to live in outside of that institution. So that, I mean, that is another, I think, very important tip is that you should flirt with the idea of leaving, create, you know, a trajectory where that could make sense for you and would resonate with your, your values and your vision, and then apply some of those insights, you know, to the work that you're trying to do inside. Like, that's, mm -hmm. to me, pretty key as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some... What are some practices or perspectives that keep give you a sense of hope and possibility uh, and guard from despair, whether now on sort of like a little bit more of the outside of what you were once doing or uh, when you're in the midst of that kind of work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, great question. <laughs> and I probably would answer that very differently uh, from day to day, depending on how my attitude <laughs> is. <laughs> yes, it's relatable. Um, and I think for me, a big, um, resource in resisting despair has been getting outside of these institutions mm -hmm. that I'm trying to change. Mm -hmm. Now, um, it's not that I have left relationships and even in some cases like professional partnerships with mm -hmm. these kinds of you know non-affirming non-inclusive like and homogenous you know organizations um but 
I ha- I do still work to create. Um, so I love coalitions, um, and to me, a part of good coalition building is uh, working with uh, surprising, building surprising partnerships. You know, in- including people in an issue campaign that maybe traditionally you wouldn't think could work together. Um, and so when I see that happen, mm-hmm. that gives me hope. Uh, so I guess a specific example would be in the state of Georgia. Mm-hmm. There is a coalition uh, that has been built to attempt to protect LGBTQ minors from conversion therapy practices. You know, this is something that uh, has successfully been able to happen um, in about 20 states. Um, Everywhere else, there's still a lot of work to be done. And in Georgia, this coalition uh, not only includes the LGBTQ advocacy organizations, but includes a number of uh, suicide prevention organizations, pediatric organizations, Mm. medical organizations. Um, It includes churches. It includes synagogues. Mm. It includes um, uh, businesses as well. Uh, who really value uh, <laughs> life kind of across the board, and they see conversion therapy as an impediment to uh, health and wellness in in the state of Georgia. And so uh, they've really kind of reached into uh, different sectors to pull people into this coalition. And again, these institutions, these organizations, these um you know, associations don't have 100% alignment um, in their beliefs, you know, or in, you know, their values even, but they do have alignment when it comes to this particular uh, issue and cause. And so that kind of stuff, um, seeing people work together to achieve a similar end Um, That makes me hopeful. That gets me excited. And it's something that I believe really lends itself to powerful and durable change in society. So that's one thing. Um, And yeah, again, like another thing that's really benefited me from like leaving churches that or organizations that I was trying to change from within uh, has been, I guess, what I mentioned around creativity. Getting mm-hmm. outside of it and being able to look in and have a uh, working understanding of that place um, has helped me <laughs> to heal mm-hmm. and has helped me to see who I am and my skills and what I offer the world as very valuable. Uh, just because I was a person who was under the impression that because I had been taught, trained, and preparing for ministry all my life, that that was all I could do. Mm -hmm. And turns out, that is not true. And (laughs) it's not that I think everybody who's been in ministry 
also happens to be able to do a variety of other jobs. I do think some people, because they weren't really trained in ministry and they never really learned how to do their job, they, correct, like the skills don't transfer. Um, if you developed no skills, then you can't do anything else. Um, and unfortunately, I have met too many people in ministry who that is true for. Um, just fully incompetent. Um, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, it, it is a phenomena I have observed. However, I think for so many others, and especially LGBTQ people uh, who have spent many, many years working inside of Christian organizations, nonprofit, you know, church spaces, we know how to do a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. And with very little resources, there's something... Uh, to be said of our resilience and how that applies in other industries, mm-hmm. in other um, sectors of society that is invaluable. And mm-hmm. I, I see that time and time again um, as I continue to move sort of outside of institutional church. I still work with the church and mm-hmm. I even, you know, I have a loving relationship in a broad sort of amorphous sense with the church but I just know for me um, I can get a lot more done out outside of its walls mm-hmm. yeah I get one thing I'm thinking as you're talking and maybe we'll start to wind down around this idea uh, taking a long view both for the work and for the workers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to think about, like, you know, right, I would say for now, it sounds like both of us have, have kind of, like, tagged out a little bit of that, like, in the trenches of in conservative spaces. Like, we are uh, just sort of out here... Uh, waving our hands, welcoming other people to come join us and find healing and to create more of an imagination around what's possible outside of those spaces. Uh, and I think it's, it doesn't mean that we would, you know, that we never get back in or we would never find new ways of, of reaching people and um, working in those spaces, but it's important to listen to like where you are now and what is giving us life right now. And I think of somebody like Barbara Brown Taylor, who was a priest for decades. And then she wrote a book about leaving church and was like, that is no longer life-giving for me. And she left. And now she's teaching world religion and, you know, goes through these and can reflect on these different periods and different seasons. And I think um, there's not, well, I think what both of us are saying is there's no right or wrong way. There's no good or bad. Um, but it's really important to understand who you are, where you are, what your orientation is, and uh, to, to keep track of, of, what, of, of where you are and if you're losing yourself mm-hmm. and if you're um, no longer thriving. And to listen to that and to know that you can um, trust your intuition and there's nothing wrong with leaving. <laughs> there's that you're not a bad person. The world is not yours to save. The, you know, Christianity is not yours to save. You 
go live a full life. Right. And um, in a different season, you may be in a different place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think if we had not said this implicitly already, I wanted to note explicitly that there has to be people working for change yeah. on the inside and the outside yeah. um, for, for change, big change to really happen. I do think mm -hmm. when you're doing work from the inside, you have a, a more intimate understanding of how, like what is on the hearts and minds of the people you're working with. And because of that, um, there is something more um, deep and you can just go deeper and wider mm -hmm. um, on the individual level, which I think you and I would both, you know, say is it cannot be overlooked, you know, mm -hmm. and it cannot be overstated how um, critical that that piece of you know the puzzle is and then for people who are on the outside um they're the ones who do the best job of applying the very warranted pressure mm -hmm. to to be changing mm -hmm. and i think you know i i see this in, maybe even more specifically when it comes to different types of activism different personalities that come to activism mm -hmm. and I have um, friends who I like to call fire starters mm -hmm. and um, they are the ones who are more publicly um, antagonizing mm -hmm. toward uh, institutions that are upholding harmful policies. And I thank God for the fire starters. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I am not one. I am mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm more of a, the, like the slow burn, right? Like mm -hmm. I'll <laughs> maintain the coals. Uh, but Make some s'mores. Yes. Like it is, <laughs> it is I'm different. And, mm -hmm. and I think the more cooperation we have, um, across personalities, across even theories of change, um, mm -hmm. I think the better our movements will be for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that raises one more thing I want to mention of like, do not come for each other. Like, mm -hmm. I cannot cope with, especially among progressives, there's such idealism and a lot of self-righteousness where people will just tear each other down when you have similar goals and similar hopes. And that is something that conservatives do very well. They will, they will have very big differences and then they will fall in line. And it's why they're able to create such, you know, to mobilize the way they do. Mm -hmm. And one hope I have for people working in more progressive spaces is that they would be able to uh, hold on to their individual perspectives and values and also recognize when there's a partner in the work that could be a good partner, even if they don't exactly, uh, you know, align with you on every single issue and ev to the degrees and all of that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, agreed. Wow. Miles, Julie. thank you. It's always a joy. <laughs> this is always uh, both illuminating and it always feels like a big exhale to yeah. process these things with you. And um, I hope that everybody else feels the same way.
Me too. Thank you uh, for for letting me uh, call in here, and <laughs> I look forward to our next conversation. That is a different time than <laughs> always. Probably yeah, this time. Same All place, right. different time. Same place, different time. Ta ta for now. Bye. <laughs>